Uh, hey, good to see you guys. Day after Christmas. I never told anybody that uh, we were meeting uh, on this week, but I just assumed that maybe most people would know, but then I didn't say anything. So, good to see you guys. And uh, we are uh, in First Peter. And we are actually in a section that's just positive as can be, as the Bible always is, only sometimes it comes back from a different angle, but um, we're in verses 6 and 7, and it's since Peter here is talking about, in this you greatly rejoice, we'll just kind of work with that topic a little bit, and uh, so some of the questions would be, I think a lot of people would ask, how do you experience joy? You know, I know it's supposed to be there, but how do we capture it? How... uh, uh, how can I have my uh, my my joy restored? Or uh, as far as uh, joy, what what can I do? What can I find to motivate my joy? Uh, where do I go to find joy uh, whenever my circumstances are not what I like them to be? <laughs> what do I need to do to focus on joy, uh, my own joy? Where do I look at my salvation to get that joy? And we know that uh, joy is not found in our circumstances and not found in in our experiences, but it is a result of God's salvation. And of course, Peter is closing in on what the final salvation is. But uh, the gift of salvation, past, present, future, however, all of us who are saved really should experience joy. And we know we're even commanded on that. Uh, I think it's it's an inward thing, definitely. Salvation has a built-in joy that that is there. And uh, believers should experience joy constantly. Uh, good time of the year to be talking about joy anyway, isn't it? <laughs> joy of the world. Um, it's important for Peter to express what God's thoughts are on joy to these people because the readers that he has are uh, in quite the predicament because there are a lot of tribulations for them and a time of persecution difficult situations. So, as we have studied already the first five verses, we've already kind of talked about this epistle here in that it is a one that is where people are being written to because of the, the situation. So, when we look at verses 6 through 9, which is not probably the whole text that we're going to get covered tonight, but it's really a profound statement. And it opens up this matter of joy as if we didn't already have enough joy when we looked at the, the last text. But So there's always going to be people who say, well, where do I go to find my joy? Because my circumstances, uh, you don't understand. <laughs> you don't understand where I'm at. Uh, but we know that joy is not some kind of a little brief uh, emotion, feelings that we might have. It's not uh, something that is outside of Christ. And we know that joy is is tied to our faith, and joy is tied to our hope. And boy, Peter is using that, isn't he? The hope that uh, what we have uh, coming. And it's also tied to love. When you think of faith, hope, and love, joy is tied to those. Tremendously tied. And we know that joy does not come cheaply because it was bought and paid for by the sacrifice of Christ. And that is the reason that uh, we have joy. And, of course, you think of uh, Jesus whenever He knew what He was here to do. And He was here to die for that as He set His eyes 
upon ultimately what the cross was about, it was uh, that was the joy uh, that that he looked to and what it was all about. So he provides the joy for us. If we talk about circumstances, good circumstances, positive circumstances, actually that can bring some happiness, you know, and some uh, some delight. And those things happen in this life, don't they? They happen sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we just, you know, I think everybody probably had a good Christmas, right? Good uh, good circumstances there. It's really nice, enjoyable. But a positive relationship with Christ, positive relationship with the Lord, we know is what really produces our, our joy. And that's really where that is at. So it's confident in who He is and what His promises are. A deep down confidence. I think that's where we get our sense of, of peace and satisfaction and the thrill in life that we have. And so anyway, as we get ready to uh, look at that text, we'll be able to see a a few more things here that uh, we have reasons why we can rejoice. And as Barb said, we could probably write a book on that and not uh, exhume it. We could just continue to just keep on going. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this evening and thank You for this time of year as we've reflected so much of uh, the Incarnation Christ becoming man, being fully God, and some of the rich traditions and doctrines that come with that. And, uh, of course, it does bring the joy, as we talk about tonight. It comes from the Scripture. And thank you for producing the true joy, the joy that lasts, the joy that is of eternity. And thank you for these people that um, we are surrounded by that help give us a little extra added joy and uh, Christ and being in Christ with uh, with your people, Lord, is uh, an absolute joy that cannot be described. And I'm so thankful for that. We give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, we uh, pick it up at verse 6, but <clears throat> we'll probably be referring back to the previous verses for a moment because that's what it's doing in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We'll go on a couple more verses. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Peter is concerned about the people and with what they're going through, will be going through, and uh, he wants them to know that what has happened to them, what is happening, and what's going to happen. And he's already said a lot of that. And so, just kind of focusing on that joy, you look at verse 6, you see the word rejoice. You drop down in just a couple verses, verse 8. Rejoice with joy inexpressible. So there again are the words uh, joy or rejoice just in a couple of verses there that uh, Peter brings forth. So he's really going to stress that here. Now, if we go back into the Old Testament, we're not going to exhaust all the verses. We'll just look at a few. Some of them are commands, and some of them are just just rejoicing in, in God. 
But we've been commanded to do that, so that's a pretty good reason to rejoice, isn't it? God tells us to. (laughs) You know, we have no choice. We are to do that. So we go back all the way back. uh, Let's look at Deuteronomy. Look at that. At the law there, and it's dealing with, uh, let's see, the uh, worship, dealing with uh, the priests, the people, and uh, Deuteronomy 12, 18. Here it's dealing with uh, sacrifices, bringing um, grains and the wine and such. Verse 18, he says, But you shall eat them before the Lord your God, in the place which the Lord your God will choose, you and your son and daughter and your male and female servants and the Levite who is within your gates, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all your undertakings. So there he gives them commands, things that they're supposed to do and the worship of God and as the people come together, as you have the Levites, the priest, and he says, as you are there, you are to rejoice before the Lord. As you partake of the worship of God and take of His goodies and even food here and and the drink, He says rejoice. And uh, I don't find that too difficult to do. I really like to worship God. Don't you guys? I mean, that's an automatic. But sometimes, you know, I might forget that. Isaiah chapter 35. Kind of a text that's pointing us to the future when it'll be very obvious why we are rejoicing. And the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Anything related to darkness and sin and all that, that's going to fly away. It's gone. Sorrow. No more tears. But here he says, joyful shouting, everlasting joy, gladness, and joy. I think that's pretty well clear just in one verse, isn't it? That's what we're going to have for eternity. An eternal joy. Hmm. I kind of like that. It'll never go out. Yeah. I think you can take it all the way, definitely, all the way into the eternal state in the future. And as he has gone back here, of course, he's saying how glorious it's going to be. I think a lot of that is what this chapter is about. And I'm just trying to think of probably what he's saying. You know, you think of the sad times that Israel went through. And of course, in Isaiah or in the Psalms, how often do you see the situations that Israel had been in? And they're reminded of what God did and He delivered them. Or they are the ransom. The, you know, he bought them out of slavery. And of course, then you can produce that into our own situations. What happened to us? We, as being slaves, were bought out by Christ. You know, he bought and paid for our sins. And of course, the ones who are the chosen of that nation, Israel, same thing happens to them, or happened to them too. They were 
uh, ultimately not only ransomed as a nation, but then the people who were believers out of that are even more ransomed in that they're ransomed spiritually for eternal life and the bondage that they were. So when he was speaking at this time, he was speaking to them about the, the, the deliverance. Right. Yeah, now we can we can go ahead and look this right on there. We can see, okay, well here's here's the historical aspect of what happened there, but it brings even more meaning all throughout the the time you know, for all for all believers who are going to be brought to the Lord. Of course he he used the same kind of thing, the uh, verse five, the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. And of course, physically, that's, there, you won't see any deaf people. You won't have any blind. Uh, we know that uh, in the eternal state, it's nothing but absolute bliss, uh, you know, all, all joy. There, the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. But we, we still have sin today. And so there's still promises for those people, either whether it's physical, ultimately it's, it's a spiritual answer, those what we what we look to. Does the scripture do that so often, especially in the Old Testament? Sure does. That it has a current mm-hmm. application to the Israelites of that time, but it also has a further message. There's so much, especially sure in does. Psalms. Oh, Psalms are so prophetic. You know, it's for that time, mm-hmm. but wait, it's also looking forward. That's right. And it applies to us, and even further for us goes even further into like into the final salvation state. It is. There's no book. There's no book that can be even come close to this kind of writing that can cover every types all the different types of people but there it is it's for the believers of all time. So they feel like a mountaintop you think there's only one mountain range and as you get closer and closer you begin to realize there's mountains and mountains and mountains. Well, that's more behind that. Yeah. That's more of course, when they read that, they saw it as, you know, who they were. But extended further out. Um, Isaiah 61, that's kind of a, like another one there. I think it's, it's dealing with pointing to the, the ultimate time. Of course, as you look to the future and see what God has done, you can't help but look back and say how, like Barb was talking about, being ransomed and being delivered and being those the, the captive. I like verse 10. I will rejoice greatly. Rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. I will rejoice greatly. I will exult in my God. Look at this. You know, look, the garment of salvation. I mean, clothed in, in, in a robe of righteousness. <laughs> Incredible. And that, that brings in all the afflicted people, all the different things that people have had to go through in this life. And uh, look what they really have to look forward to. He constantly had promises for those people who were living in very destitute ways and had come through some terrible circumstances. In Psalm 4, I'm mentioning Psalms while I go. I mean, how do you how do you even exhaust this? It just everywhere you turn, you're going to get this. But 
Excuse me. And this has it in the, in the right perspective, just this first line. You have put gladness in my heart. See, it's, it's God who puts that in us. It's an inward work, isn't it? It's God that puts that gladness, that joy. More than when their grain and new wine abound. Which, if that's the things that they were living on as far as their livelihood is concerned, and it was, a agrarian society, uh, that, that was their livelihood. And he says, your gladness is even more than that. And uh, then we go to Psalm 37, 4. Know this one, don't we? Delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. If we are following the way that He um, that He has planned out for us, um, we can be glad. We can be joyous. If we are delighting in Him, if we're, we're pursuing Him and His things, then those things that we desire are going to be His things. So it's not going to be so much our own desires that we're coming up with, but now it's His desires, which are our desires. And that's what we want, right? His will. <laughs> His will. He puts those in. Psalm fifty-one, twelve. after David had uh, sinned, And he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. As he's confessing it, he says, Restore unto me that joy that I, I had. It's gone. Well, and when you're in uh, living in sin like he had and unconfessed, uh, then he comes to the Lord and says, I want that joy back. Sustain me with a willing spirit. Give it to me, Lord. I know where it comes from now. Uh, but joy, joy, joy. How much do we pursue that? But it's there, but we need to let it rule. Psalm 100, verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Verse 1. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. How can you miss it? How many times can we go through the Psalms and talk about joy? Yes. What's that? It's okay, I'm there now. Okay, you got it. <laughs> Shout joyfully. <laughs> Yeah, I've got I've got one up on you because I know when I'm going to go to that verse. You've got it in front of you there on the verses we're after, but I'm already turning. Yeah, I, yeah, I see that because I have people who are I'm cheating. Uh, that's Old Testament, few New Testament passages. Oh, here's one we've been uh, coming across, especially in the last few weeks. Probably can't miss this one. Uh, Luke two ten, angels, the shepherds. But the angel said to them, as the angel speaks to the shepherds, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you the good news of what? Great joy. Great joy. We're not talking about just joy. Great joy, which will be for all the best news they could ever have. News of Christ. Luke 6, It says in verse, I've got to read verse 22. These are the Beatitudes here. The blessed are. Verse 22. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven for in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. If 
you're standing up for the faith and you know you are faithful to the Lord and whatever it is. If people hate you, if they ostracize you and insult you, scorn you, be glad. Because really, they are um, putting it on the Lord. Huh? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. Peter will say that later on. Oh, John fifteen eleven. These are just a few. Joy is all over the Bible. Good to be reminded. Just good to be reminded. Someday there's some. Sometimes there's some dry days after you've had the, you know, like Christmas and New Year's, and now all of a sudden it's trying to get back into the swing of things and. And then you look at this and you go, yeah, this is the right perspective. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So if you have Christ, we should have full joy, letting Him fill us. That's about the I am the vine, you are the branches. That's that chapter there. That's what he's just talked about there. And he says, I'm telling you this, I want you to have the joy I have. The joy of Christ. Hmm. Um, Philippians four four is I think rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. Ah, remember that one? Huh? That's right. I don't I don't know. It goes way back I think in the seventies or something, wasn't it? <laughs> um, oh, and First Thessalonians five sixteen just says rejoice always. We know those. Second Corinthians one twenty four. What do we have there? Well, I know that's kind of a suffering chapter there. <laughs> oh yeah. You expect us to be joyful about that, I guess, huh? <laughs> well, he tells them all the way through this chapter, and then he says this: Not that we lord it over your faith, but are workers with you for your joy. Corinthians, for in your faith you are standing firm. So he was doing it for their joy. So it's not just that we are to have joy, but then we want others to have joy also. So a little bit of New Testament commentary and and uh, looking at the commands, the Old Testament, what Peter is saying here, those are just a few. And So that's, that's a pretty good reason. As Peter starts off, in this you rejoice, or what? What does he say? In this you rejoice. Greatly rejoice. We can't miss that word. Matter of fact, he has used that great before. Back in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy... I, I tend to forget about those. You know, you memorize verses, you know, and then you start thinking about, wait a minute, boy, he's really magnifying that. His great mercy. And now he says, in this you greatly rejoice. Well, what is it that we greatly rejoice in? Well, actually, verses 3 through 5. Because <laughs> that's, that's just what he came out of. Uh, it's, it's the great future God promises that we have. Of course, you know, I mean, they, they do apply now, definitely, but for what we really are, are aiming for ultimately. And he says he's going to keep it for us. And then he says he will keep us. Hey, great, if he keeps that, but what about me? <laughs> and that was what verse 5 was about, that the power of God would, uh, would keep us. 
So joy is based on the happiness of our future. Not only right now and what He has done, but look at, look at where it's heading. So, In this you greatly rejoice. Anticipation. Uh, and uh, if you can remember back when you were little kids, you know, of course, Christmas time, waiting for that those gifts, you know, anticipating it was you just couldn't wait, right? If we could talk to some kids, they would restore us back to maybe a little bit of that uh, that great uh, was it a wonder, uh, amazement, excitement. <laughs> but uh, we we do we, we anticipate that time. We greatly rejoice in that. There is a there's actually a King James word. And it's taken from the Greek word. Of course, all of your texts are. But um, the word uh, kairo. Uh, and it, it's a much stronger word than just rejoice. And so it's, it's like the word uh, greatly rejoice. Or it's like a superabundance, overabounding joy. May you really just have super joy. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the idea. Profound sense there. And it's not a temporal joy. Um, this is in the tenth. That is a continual exuberant joy. That's not to go up and down. You know, like the feelings, the emotions, that kind of happiness. There, it's always it's just going like this, isn't it? <laughs> but this right here, it's it just exuberantly glad, constantly. So, over what? Well, verse three, according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again. To living hope, right? Born again to living hope. Verse 4 deals with the inheritance that He's keeping for us. Verse 5 is us. He's keeping us. So He's keeping both. He's keeping the inheritance and He's keeping us. Now, if you can recognize that your joy can be found in your inheritance that is protected and we know that nothing will touch it, and this is a tremendous, marvelous promise that God has, and He's going to do what He says, and it's pointing to ultimate glorification. He's reserved it for us. He's secured it. It's there. It's like saying, okay, now, get your eyes off the world. Get your eyes off of those, the, the surroundings here. Quit looking for your satisfaction here, because it's not. Here is where you get your satisfaction. Of course, I think Colossians 3. Set your affections on the things above, not on the things of the earth. And that's why as we look in 1 Peter, the reality that we all have, regardless of whatever the situations are, when you look at this, it definitely applies to our lives, doesn't it? So when we have a full inheritance awaiting us, and when the things of the earth tend to surround us, then think on that. That's where Peter is really hitting on it. um, Think of a woman in travail. Um, She goes to the hospital, getting ready to have the baby. And she gives, you know, all during that time, it's nothing but pain, right? Right, ladies? Pain, 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 pain. It's, It's a hard thing to go through. Anguish. But as soon as the baby comes, you had all that time of, of hardship. Labor is a pretty good word for that, isn't it? Yeah. And all of a sudden, now the joy is there. You knew on the other side this is what's going to happen, but during that time, you're having to go through this. So, you know, often the Bible kind of goes to that little illustration. Or you can think of Jesus. You can think how dark that hour, those hours must have been as he was arrested and the way that he is treated and put on the cross. And 
people really didn't know about that other side of joy that is there. Uh, but yet, of course, I can think of um, Hebrews 12.2. He, he knew what that was heading to. And that's why he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. After all that travail was over, we see that uh, the ultimate joy is there. So, if we can live in that state, or at least keep our minds, think of that. How often do we have, yeah, we have to live this life here and we're to live it for His glory, but at the same time, be living in the heavenlies at the same time. So it keeps things in the, in the perspective. It, it's hard to do that sometimes. We're, we're in human uh, flesh here and we have a battle. That's right. Right. Uh, Romans five two. We rejoice. You know what it says from the rest of there. In the hope of the what glory of God. Because we have hope now, but the hope is pointing to the fact that one day it'll even be to the sense that there is there's glory. We'll, we'll see the glory of God in, in its ultimate sense. Then I think in Romans 12, verse 12, it says, uh, rejoicing in hope. So rejoice and hope have a lot to do with it. Still looking forward to that time and knowing that we have a guarantee, Holy Spirit, uh, what Romans, or Ephesians chapter 1, He's a guarantee of our inheritance. Verse 3 in Romans there, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So there's a reason for that. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> I think that more Paul is saying that, what Peter's saying here. More than that. More than that. Rejoice in your sufferings <laughs> while you're here. This is uh, the the reality of the aspect of why you're going through this at this time. Rejoice in that too. Rejoice in that. So if you're going through those things, instead of looking at the mundane, all the little things of this temporal world, you need to look at your protected, eternal inheritance all at that same time. You know what it comes down to? Deciding on which one you want to look at. Do you want to concentrate on all the terrible things that are going on or do you want to look at what ultimately this is why and this is the way that we're getting there of where we're heading like uh, you ever been on a trip uh, especially out west but it could be anywhere it could be where there are hills and such but you can think of the mountains you know if you're riding along you look out the window and you see this great big mountain you're riding right pretty close to it and you see nothing but almost, almost dark shadows here but that's all you see but then, when you when you actually get on the other side and you finally cross the mountains, and all of a sudden, sudden as you're looking in there, you see the lush valleys, the trees, the plants, uh, lakes, rivers. I mean, it's just beautiful on this other side. And but we didn't know that at the time. Or maybe if we did, we could say, "Hey, but yeah, right now all I see is this heavy mountain. But I know what's on the other side. This is where we're headed." 
And so it's just a matter of how we look at it. If we want to be weighed down with burdens and guilt and ride on that and live on that, then we can live a miserable life. And Christians can be very miserable. And it's a shame. How many how many have seen Christians and we and you know they're Christians, but it's too bad they're having to live out their life in such a sad way that they can't concentrate on the fact of what this is all about and what God is doing in all of this. Well, we need to be reminded of that constantly. That's what's so good about fellowship, you know, and it's good to have somebody come alongside sometimes, give an encouraging word. You know, it really is. It's, uh, but uh, this anticipation, it, 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 uh, it lends a lot to where we're headed there. Really good. Much we more. That's what Peter's really trying to emphasize here. Because he knows what they've been through. And he knows what they're going to go through. And he just lays it right out here and says, hey, listen, man, you have all the reasons for it to have joy. A lot of people go, what are you talking about? Well, here we go, Penny. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. God has given us a faith, and we who are Christians are going to show our faith in some way to ourselves, really. Um, God knows what our faith is. It's not that He's going to test us to see, huh, I wonder where they're at. Maybe I need to use a little measuring here. I, I don't, I'm not sure. <laughs> it, uh, it's good for us because we get to see kind of where we're trusting. And so we get into this third reason, and it's because our faith is shown that it's real. And So God has a design, and this is where it really gets difficult. And a lot of people probably couldn't handle what we're going to be talking about in the next few minutes. And it's rather, um, sounds very negative, but it's not. Because God is the grand weaver. And He knows what He's doing. Even when we don't. And the grand weaver is putting together this tremendous plan, and He has a purpose, and has a way that He does it. So, there are distresses that come on in this life. In this, you greatly rejoice. With all that said, even though now for a little while, if necessary. Um, I'm going to kind of look at God's design. If if necessary, that's kind of a, a word that's kind of stumbling a little bit. Who or what is making this distress of these trials necessary? Who, who's doing that? What's doing it? What, what's going on? Well, we know there can be a lot of lot of reasons those can come on. But ultimately, who does it all go back to? Who controls whether it happens or doesn't happen? God is the one that does it. You know, and of course, the, you know there are obvious. There's some reasons why we can say, well, that that happened because of this and because of that. But then we see that God is in control, and Peter makes it, uh, I think, really clear here that Christians distress only happens because God wills it, ultimately. Because He could keep it from happening. 
And sometimes, and wonder how many times he does keep things from happening we never know about. Uh, keeps us from, you know, using. We've heard of angels. You know, one of their ministries is, you know, watching over us as God uses them. So, so many times, so many things we don't necessarily know. But Peter is teaching that God is sovereign. God has a sovereign will, and God governs. Everything, all the distresses. He could keep things from happening. He can cause things to happen, and but ultimately, it's the design that um, we know that that Satan can be right there. And of course, our flesh can, you know, let sin happen and such. But ultimately, God has a design in in using that. You know, we think of Romans eight twenty eight a lot. Yeah, Barb. One thing somebody told me a long time ago as a Christian, and I wasn't along these very same lines, he said, every time I'm in a hurry and I start coming to a stoplight and it turns red <laughs> when I don't want to he said, instead of getting mad, I think that uh, maybe God is saving me from something or wrecked down the road or something like that, that the timing would have been different. And I, you know, I was thinking that when he said that, and I said, that, that really is a good way to... Rather than letting the flesh ride out to get angry and such, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it, when Peter uses this word, um, if necessary, it's if God deems it necessary. <laughs> if God deems it necessary. And then in verse 7, so that. The proof of your faith. So that, this gives a reason why God would deem it necessary that we uh, be distressed by various trials. <laughs> so that, the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable even though tested with fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a higher purpose that this is going to be finally be brought to. All we see right now are these little little things, but ultimately all of these things are pointing to much bigger, grander thing, bigger scale. So it, it always, I think, raises a, I think, a profound, troubling, baffling kind of question. Because we know we're going to fail. What's that? But because we know if we will fail, we will fail. You mean in our in ourselves? Well, we will because if we're trying to usually have to show us that we do not trust in Him. And we've never picked those. We've never picked that route. Really. We never want that. And who wants? Who wants those things? Not looking for them. Versus the one the parents of those kids in Newtown, Connecticut are going to. If I were one of those parents, I don't know that my faith would be as strong in that circumstance as it was in my own circumstance. So it's like, I guess maybe he realizes I'm a, a younger Christian or something, and I guess, you know, he doesn't give us more than we can handle, I guess, and he, you know, just tests our faith. Well, it's for different purposes, too. You know, for some people, he's trying to show you that you need to depend on him, and for some, he's just trying to show you that you can't do it on your own. 
And for others, he's trying to, you know, maybe you need to be an example for someone else. So the purpose is always different, too. Yeah, but, you know, if God, God took my child away, I don't know that I would be thinking those thoughts where while I was going through the surgery, I was, I was really pretty much able to stay focused and, and know what the purposes were and know that my faith was growing. But if God took a child of mine away, or I think perhaps if my house burned down, something really tragic happened, I can only hope and pray that my faith would grow and be strong, but I'm not so sure I'd be saying the things Penny just said, that I would revert back to, well, if God, you know, if there was a God, he wouldn't let this happen. You know, yeah, and and uh, a lot of times we don't know how we'd respond. We'd like to think that we'd respond correctly, yeah. but maybe sometimes we don't. That little thing always annoyed me with the the pastors that would bring up that. Well, if uh, if uh, somebody walked in here with a machine gun and said, you know, do you believe in God? How many people do you think would would you still sit there? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Shoot. Somebody's going to gun me, I might run like crazy. I don't know. I'm not going to know until I'm there and it happens. Yeah, and it's actually like that. You know, it's not our strength that will do it. It's sure. Spirit. Yeah. Because yeah. 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 you don't, you know, shoot. Yeah. People make all these big proclamations about their great faith. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? A lot of the guys that were um, persecuted, you see in boxes. Right. Uh, of course, they you know they weren't counting on any of those things happen, but it's amazing how they were able to get through. A lot of them were singing when they went out, and uh, you know, and I'm imagining like, what I've done that, you know. But the, but the thing is, like like Barb said there, it's it's God's strength is that we're able to get through any kind of trial, whether it seems like a, a major or a small one. That they're all trials. I think it's called He's well. I think that's pretty key. He's in control whenever somebody gets cancer. God's in control there. Um, you know, we, we hate to think of those terrible things. God's in control with with uh, like the people out in in Connecticut, for instance. He's controlling that. Uh, my uh, a threatening chaos that that could happen all across the world. He's in total control of that. That's why we as Christians who believe in a sovereign God can relax in that sense. You know, we should be praying and, and caring about that, but in another sense, we're at peace because we know whatever happens, God knows about it. He could keep it from happening or He could make it worse, seemingly. That's the attitude I've taken about the physical cliff. <laughs> I'm just here anymore. I don't worry about it. Well, that takes a lot of it off because we we can't do anything about it anyway, can we? Yeah, we're probably better anyway. So, um, but I, I, I was talking to somebody about that the other day, and I said, when it comes to things like that, I'm just glad I believe in the sovereign God. And let it do that. So when we all go over the physical cliff, God's right there. <laughs> it's always there. I'm halfway down it already. Exactly. Yeah. Well, this is real life stuff. You know, I mean, this is about my life. It's about your life. I mean, this is where this is all at.
But you also realize they're not going to stop it. There's nothing to be. You can be mad or you can be, you know, whatever you can be. And at the point that you simply say, you can see why people would rejoice that they keep being persecuted. It would be a relief to go. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's a point that you know that, yeah, there's the point of, uh, in fact, in his namesake, but his glory. Yeah. Well, would you say that um, his will is involved in all things, even though we know we, we pray that his will be done here on earth as it is in heaven? Um, so there, there is sin here, you know. Not that he wills sin, but he takes anything that even is sinful and terrible, sinful. That, that of course, the world we live in. But He can take those things and guide them because there's a higher design that goes much further and beyond uh, all the destructiveness of what sin has brought forth and deceitfulness of Satan and, of course, the, the painfulness of just suffering, having to go through things. And it's not that He wills that, hey, He gets a real jolly out of us really having to really go through some kind of, a, let's say, a physical suffering, a painful thing that we have to... It's not that He enjoys that. But yet He still is such a great God, He's going to use that for uh, for His glory. Look in chapter 3, verse 17 in Peter there. 3.17 For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Here, Peter says, if, if you're suffering and, and God has willed that, if that be the case, uh, then you, you don't want to do it because you know, it's, you've done right. Uh, so there's God's will dealing with, with suffering. That's, that's a tough topic. Um, thank you guys for hanging with me on that because I think a lot of people would really be upset that God would cause suffering. And ultimately, God actually takes people out of this world when it really comes down to I'd never tell somebody that just lost somebody well God caused that you know but at the same time ultimately he if he can't keep it from happening now we have a less than sovereign God and he says well my hands off that I couldn't do anything um, I, then I, I don't have any trust I, I can't depend on that kind of God but I know if he's controlling that there's something even much better than this anyway what does, what does it say in 419. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. Those who suffer according to the will of God. That's an amazing statement. Uh, What's the will of God? That we'd be saved, that we'd be sanctified. Uh, That we would be um, uh, sanctified, being set apart there. That we'd be uh, saying thanks and all those different kind of things. And and, uh, here it says, Suffering, which is the will of God. There we go again. Peter says it about three different times here in this book here. It's not that God approves of sinning, but He can and does will. Whenever there are sinful acts, it's going to be used ultimately for His holy design. And um, when Christ was murdered on the cross, that was sin, and those people were held responsible for that treacherous, terrible act. But yet at the same time, it was in God's plan. And I know that sounds different. Yeah, that was Jesus. He was going to be here. But yet, those men, according to Acts 2, it says that they were the ones who killed Him. But ultimately, it was the will of 
the Father to bruise him. As it says in Isaiah 53, verse 10, it was the will of the Father to crush His Son. Uh, oh, the purpose of God. It uh, definitely goes way beyond what we can think of. I think of Ephesians 1.11 where it says, Also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. Praise the Lord. So, anyway, that's a, that's a pretty tough stuff. Thank you for staying with me on that. I know you would anyway. Our history, you know, it just shows us over and over again that when the church is persecuted, when the church suffers, it grows. When things are good, look at America. That's right. People think it's a Christian. Well, and it's just, it's just, when things are good, it's easy to think that you're doing something to make them that way. And when you're suffering, you know you didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we. Well, that's I, don't, I can't take you credit for that one. <laughs> and you know that, that you can't get through it without some help. Right. So, so you trust in him more. But look at all the things that come out. Anyway, that's good. Uh, yeah, Barb, you said there that um, <clears throat> there are varying degrees. I think you said that. That's exactly what Peter's saying here in verse 6. <laughs> you, you and Peter, just like that. If necessary, you have been distressed by what? Various trials. Various is like multicolored, multifaceted. Um, uh, even the Greek word means uh, many, many different ways. Uh, you think of a diamond. There's the manifold grace of God. That's, in this way, there are manifold trials. And so it's going to vary uh, from one person to another, from one degree to another, even with one trial that we've had individually that to the next one. <laughs> but knowing that there's a tremendous various amounts of joy that we'll have through our distresses. Now that's that word trial where King James has temptation, which to me is a lot different. So this trial is the better word. Yeah, I believe it is. Because temptation sounds like He gives us temptations of sin. And we know James says He does not tempt anyone to sin. But that, yeah, that's the, that's the idea, the, the word uh, for trial. Um, almost always I think that word is probably used for that. Sometimes I think King James will use a trial, but temptation quite a bit. So the trial is there, isn't it? That is, it is there, but I don't know yeah. if it's the same word. I, I think it is, and I don't have it written down here, but I, I think that's the same word, or in the same, pretty sure. The New American says a proof of your faith. Verse 7, right? Proof. Uh, yeah, and the word? It's Dakimos. Dakimazo is the Greek word. Um, Tested to prove what is true. It's designed to not show failure, but it's really designed to show what ultimately when it's all said and done, when you have all the dross off there and everything just floats to the top, you can easily take that off there and then now you see what is there, what's true, the, the gold for instance. Um, so if you shrink away your 
during your trial and you doubt God and you say, if you don't start over when you get done, then your genuineness is genuine. Yeah, there's a lot of dross there yeah. that needed to be cleaned off. But the faith is going to always be there. If you have faith that God has given you, that faith is there. But of course, we want that we want that gold nugget to be you know shining for His glory, right? It was. It, yeah, and I think it's a really good test for us to show us. Oh, you know what? I I really failed on on that test uh, because I wasn't. Really trusting in Him, I wasn't obedient. I, I wasn't seeing this in a way that that God can can use this. You know those kind of things. And when we buck against, what do you say there? It's Sorry. Acknowledgement is a growth in itself. Well, what do you yeah. what do you do with, yeah. the, with yeah. the idea? There's there there are people that I know that just say, well, you know, like this thing in Connecticut. Well, I don't I don't understand why God and I you know and I talk to him and I you know. And I to God, and I think that's kind of what you're saying, they God will make sure that somehow that, you know, they see that they had to depend on Him. You know, they may not see that this side. Somewhere along the line, though, you, you hear... Of course, all at once. You just, every time something like this comes up, it's like He just, he just keeps hanging. He keeps coming back. He keeps hanging on, and He doesn't like it. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't get it, but He just keeps hanging on. And I keep telling him, just keep hanging on. What's he hanging on to? He loves the Lord. Okay. He does he love the Lord. He just doesn't get it. But that's faith, though. Yeah. It just breaks my heart. He's always so upset and so angry about all these things that are going on, and I keep trying to. <laughs> but it's like he's just hanging on. Yeah. You know, there is a mystery to evil. Mm-hmm. Scripture says that. Sure. And it's very, very powerful. And God has called us to battle. Mm-hmm. He has called us to battle and to struggle against the darkness. And I think it was Calvin, but I'm not sure. He said, God loves a good fighter. <laughs> calls us to yeah. fight. You know, we not only have the darkness in Ephesians here, it says our struggle is against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil. Now, that is a struggle. That is a real battle. Sure is. And it's not easy to stay in. I don't, I don't believe it. It's ever easy. Not, not a trial. It's not easy. Yeah, right. Yeah. 
Yeah, the Christian life is is yeah, that. Yeah, but he That's sees, what you know, and he empowers us, and he's there even though it seems sometimes that he isn't. And like you said, he will pick us up, and if we didn't do all too good in this one, we'll have it over. For this and that. That's right. Yeah. Do it right the first time. Yeah. <laughs> There's still going to be another opportunity. Yeah, yeah you'll back around again. Yeah. Even if you do, even if you get through it perfectly, there's still going to be another opportunity. Well, Peter knew that. I mean, well, we know Peter. Uh, look at look at the last chapter, one of the last verses that he writes in verse ten. This this hits right along with what you guys are saying there. After you have suffered for a little while, and you notice that little while, momentary light affliction. We could go to that scripture, Second Corinthians, right? But uh, uh, the. Uh, it's the last chapter of Peter, chapter 5, verse 10. One of the last verses. Verse 10. After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace... Don't you like that? This doesn't say God. This is the God of all grace. Yeah. Who called you to His eternal glory. Remember that. In Christ. Here's what's happening. Will, will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen and establish you. That's kind of what he's doing now, and there will, will be the ultimate point when we get to that. But realize what's happening here, what he's saying here. Uh, in a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, and that perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you, you die. That's perfection, right? You because of the suffering to get to that point. And so, therefore, we've come to the end of this would time here. A, would that not be a comforting verse to give to somebody who's suffering? Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> but they That's what he's say, doing. Well, maybe next week I'll reach this point. No. no this is not next week. This is the end of your life. This, this book was written, I just saw a week ago, last Tuesday, on the History Channel, the history of some of early civilization. And it was talking about this exact time, the Christians in Rome that were being arrested and fed to the lions because uh, they didn't give them a diet or anything else. They gave them people. <laughs> Christians. Or they were thrown into the arena and made to fight until they were killed. Or they were burned alive or they were beheaded or something. This is the kind of people he's talking about here. This is the suffering they were going through. And we wonder, well, what in the world was the purpose of that? This story said and brought to my mind that, well, in the beginning and the day of Pentecost, there was about 120. And within 100 years, the church of the real true believers numbered over 20 million, surrounding all the Mediterranean countries, all the way into England and down into Africa. Uh, and it this church grew because of these little 120 plus people that were suffering like what we're reading about here. Yeah. And they die. That make any sense, does it? You think what's made suffering, what would you partake of, right? So what happened in, in uh, that massacre? You don't know what's going to happen out of that 100 years from now. Exactly. 
That may be the greatest revival around that part of the country that you have ever seen. And we, we, yep. we can't look at it. We don't look at it eternally. We look at it personally right now, today. We're always looking for the right now, aren't we? We're, we're that kind of society that we live in anyway. It's an instant gratification, but yeah. We're focusing on the physical. It, it takes some thinking to, to realize that we don't... God is, is far less interested in maintaining our physical comfort and our physical... <laughs> the extension of our physical... Yeah, what's up with that? <laughs> with yeah. our spiritual... Well-being and growth. Yeah, but he doesn't say after a while uh, he will feed you and house you and. (laughs) (laughs) No, you got to get up and get ready for the next battle, don't you? for people, we have an answer for ourselves, and it's really ultimately it's for God's glory. He's got a purpose that's being accomplished in through this, and like, like Elton said there, who knows what all is going to come about uh, that event. We'll, we may not ever, ever, ever even begin to hear of all the things that could be. And how many other things are going on that you never hear in the news where hundreds of people are being killed daily, thousands and such. What's going to happen with that? It goes way beyond the way that the world sees it, doesn't it, and the way that we even see it. What a boy. What a great God we really have. It's good we know Him, but we were known by Him first. (laughs) He's just uh, allowing us to get a little bit more insight as we... We're talking about growing growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It allows us to live tomorrow as we go about in our daily work just a little bit easier knowing that kind of thought even though it's surrounding us. It gets us through, but it's, it's really, it's, it's all about Him, what He's doing. 